Good morning, Woodland Hills. Uh, I, I have to say, my name is Dan Kent, by the way. I'm a teaching pastor here at Woodland Hills. Thank you so much for uh, coming into church here and also joining us online. Four degrees, that hits different than 24 degrees. I mean, that was, that was tough. Uh, but we made it. We're here, and I'm so glad that we're all here together. Uh, I was not supposed to be here. Um, uh, Shauna wrote a really great sermon, and I was really looking forward to seeing it. And then she totally lost her voice. And, uh, and so I, I talked to her on the phone, and if you can imagine, like, Darth Vader from Star Wars, except instead of James Earl Jones, it's Kermit the Frog playing it. That's, that's what Shauna sounded like. So let's prayers for her to get her voice back and uh, uh, be back to her normal, boisterous self. Um, we, we are in this series. Oh, so let me just say, I, I got I to confess this, too. Uh, so I found out yesterday that I was going to do the sermon, which is fine because I've been thinking about a lot of things on this topic, but, uh, you know, 20 hours is not much time to pull stuff together, so I have not practiced this yet. And normally, I'll practice this in front of Barbara, and she'll take out all the dumb stuff. <laughs> and she'll, most, more than anything, take out all the bad humor. So I do not envy you today because we did not do a practice run through. This is going to be very raw, but I hope there's some good stuff here that you can take with you into uh, your Christmas gatherings. Um, it, it helped though yesterday because I'm like, well, you know, I don't really, really want to prepare a sermon. I'd really like to just watch the Vikings game. But fortunately, they got their butts so thoroughly spanked by halftime, it was 33 to nothing. I didn't have to worry about that. So I didn't even, didn't even have to watch that. I just got to work on... The Vikings won? What? Oh my goodness. Wow. Hey, if the Vikings can come back from 33 points at halftime to win the game, I can pull a sermon together in 24 hours. That's right. So we are in this series called Christmas Lights, and uh, the idea of the Christmas Lights series is that, man, we have so many different types of darknesses and and types of ungodliness that we experience in the world, and uh, we wanted to look at several of those big darknesses that we experience in the world and show how the Christmas story might shine some special light into those darknesses. And so week one, Greg talked about the chaos and instability of the world right now. And he showed how we can leverage the peace of God against that instability and chaos. And then uh, last week, I talked about the sense of meaninglessness and futility that we can feel living in this world where everything just seems like we're on a treadmill. And I showed how in, in baby Jesus, God becomes one of us and he provides us, he offers us a destination. So we're no longer on a treadmill, but we are on a journey toward a meaningful destination. This week, I want to talk a little bit about loneliness because I think right now, one of the big darknesses that we're experiencing is loneliness, and uh, you know, it, which is important because really, this was the first risk that God noticed about humanity. He created humanity. He said that humanity was good. He was very happy with his creation, but he noticed a flaw. He said, there's a big danger here. It is not good for humans to be alone. That was the first big risk that he identified. And guess what? We are experiencing profound loneliness right now in the world. And, you know, I have some statistics here, you know, like uh, uh, over the last 30 years, the people who say that they experience uh, profound senses of loneliness 
on a chronic basis that has regularly experienced this, it went from about 11% in the 70s to 46% of people by 2020. That's a huge growth in people who feel just really, really lonely. In fact, the United Kingdom, they have a government position called the Minister of Loneliness, where, (laughs) I'm serious, and, and the whole role is to help people feel less lonely, to get people connected on things, to uh, create communities so that people don't experience... Because loneliness can cause physical problems, it can cause spiritual problems, it can uh, wreck sort of the integrity of communities. And, and so they have a minister of loneliness, uh, which I don't think, as of now, there are any heavy metal bands called Minister of Loneliness, but that's a really good name for a heavy metal band, and uh, I offer that at no charge. But, you know, so there's lots of statistics, but, you know, we've seen influencers on social media with millions of followers who, you know, commit suicide, and, and, and just the connections that we have in this modern era, they're not working. The types of connection that the world offers, it's just not working right now, and people are feeling lonely, and I, I don't blame them. You, you look at technology, and if, if you're my age or older or, or slightly younger, you've seen it yourself, how we've we become less and less together, even though we're really connected, like on an amazing level. I mean, I know I still have connections now with people from junior high for a school that I went to for like four months. I mean, that's how connected I am. And yet, it doesn't really satisfy that feeling of connection that I was made for. And, and I feel it's even going to get worse with technology and as things are going. I, I imagine, I, I don't know if you think of this, but if you were a kid right now, growing up in this culture, it would feel like you were living in a fishbowl in an ocean where you can see all the other fish, but you just can't really connect with them. And, and I think that's kind of what we are experiencing right now. So my question is this, um, how does the Christmas story shine a light into this problem of loneliness? And, you know, there's uh, a lot of directions we could go here. And when I first started, I just gathered all of these ideas. Like, it was, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie A Beautiful Mind, but it's about John Nash when he kind of has, he's a paranoid schizophrenic and he has all of this paranoia and he's got all of this crazy genius stuff all over his shed. And that's what my office looked like. I was, I was trying to figure out which direction am I going to go because as soon as you start looking at individual types of things, Things that cause loneliness, it's infinite. There are so many things that contribute to our feeling of loneliness, and there's no way I could do that. So instead, what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at how are the principalities and powers affecting us on a more broad, kind of cumulative level? How is that contributing to our loneliness? And uh, not that the individual stuff doesn't matter, it's just that I, I can't get to that. I, so I want to look at something that I can hopefully shine some light into. And a big part, I think, of our fracturing right now and our separation from each, uh, uh, from each other and that false uh, togetherness that we have uh, is because of these shifts at a societal level. And, uh, and it's more of these kind of big principles and these big powers it more has to do with that than, than anything that individuals do. That's the part that Barbara would have helped me clean up right there. That's exactly what I'm talking about. But, uh, <clears throat> but it's fun. I like doing this raw. This is, this is nice. You get to see an inside kind of look at what it looks like when I practice my sermon before I do the real thing. This is wonderful. So I want to start with this. Greg, uh, Greg Boyd and I have a podcast called Greg Boyd Apologies and Explanations. Does anybody here listen to it? Thank you. There's one person. That's great. 
Greg, we got to do some marketing or something. I don't know what the deal is. We have one person listening to our podcast. Uh, well, somebody wrote in a question, and that's what we do, is we just take questions and we try to provide an answer. And last week, somebody wrote this question. It was such a good question. He asked this, why didn't Jesus leave us any writings? Isn't that a good question? I mean, boy, that would have solved a lot of problems. Look at all the debates we have about, what well, did Jesus really say this? Because Mark says this, but Luke over here says this. And boy, if Jesus just would have wrote it, it would have been a lot easier. We wouldn't have all these debates. And I think part of the beauty of this, and there's probably a, a lot of reasons why Jesus didn't write it himself, but one thing that is really cool is that even here, Jesus is prioritizing the importance of relationship. Because here's what you have. You have the ground of all being, the creator of the universe, the person who sustains us every moment becoming one of us, which is profound by itself. But he becomes one of us to bring us this message and to invite us into this destination that can make our lives meaningful and to give meaningful purpose to our lives. It's the most crucial point in the history of history. God doing this. And even at that point, the most important part of his entire mission, he trusts other people. He, 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 he leans on us. He shares the burden of his mission with his, his people. He honors us. He honors us by giving us these responsibilities. You can do it. I don't need to do this because you can. That's honoring. That's an honorable responsibility that God gives us. God builds up his workers by giving him tasks that will help them grow, even at this most important juncture. The gospel itself, the good news which we base our entire faith on, comes through community. Jesus didn't write it himself because he wants this to be a community thing. He wants this to be a collective perspective. He wants everybody to be involved in this good news. We are part of the good news from minute one. That's what it means that Jesus didn't write the gospel himself. In Jesus, God is trying to build this connection, this fulfilling togetherness from the bottom up. Not from the top down, here are my truths, here are my writings. No, he does it through relationship. He asks, hey, Matthew, could you just, I'm going to give this sermon, could you write some of this stuff down? And he, he gets other people involved from the bottom up. He builds this togetherness, and it's just, it's so beautiful. In Jesus, God prioritizes relationship. In fact, the, the angel tells Joseph, look, call, call this kid Emmanuel, because this kid is God with us. God with us, that's what Emmanuel means. And what that looks like in Jesus' life is you see this from minute one, is that he loves people as they are, just exactly as they are. They don't have to earn anything. They don't have to prove anything. However people are, even if they're in sin, he loves them as they are. But the second part of that is that he calls them to be more than what they are. Because he wouldn't love them as they are if he didn't also want them to be more than what they are. He loves people as they are, and then he calls them to be more than what they are. And I think that we really want that. I think that we really want to be the best that we can be. I think that we really want that life to the full that Jesus invites us to. It's just that the world 
kind of dupes us into thinking that we don't have to be better. The world dupes us into thinking that we're good enough the way we are, to, to be content with where we're at. But deep down beneath that deception, I think God knows that we really want to be more, and God is there right away to help us be more than what we are. In fact, I love this passage from John. And it's kind of fun not being prepared. I don't have slides, so I have to do this old school. I'm going to read this from John 8, verses 3 through 11. And and this is such a classic uh, Jesus. This is so Jesus, is what I'm saying. Uh, But the, the story says this. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought in a woman who they caught in adultery. We got her. We got her. They caught this woman, okay? They made her stand before the group. Stand here, woman. We got you. And all of the group looked at the woman, okay? Just staring at her. Look look what she did. We got her. And then the Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, we are told to stone women who are caught in adultery. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis to accuse Jesus. And that's just what people do, isn't it? They try to use your flaws, they try to use your mistakes to teach you a lesson, to put you in your place, to send you a message. That's what the Pharisees are doing here. And Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. If I get three wishes, I'm going to ask, what did he write in the sand? That's all I'm saying, (laughs) because, man, I would love to know that. When the Pharisees kept on questioning him, the guy's just trying to write something in the sand, and they just keep questioning him because they really want to put this woman in her place. They really want to send a message and teach her a lesson. And so they just keep pestering him with questions. And Jesus finally says to them, let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. Oh, that's a tough question. That's a tough call. And of course, what happens is uh, they heard this challenge and people started leaving. And it's funny because they note in here that the older people left first. Like they knew. (laughs) The older people are like, "Uh, yeah, I I can't throw that stone. The younger people were waiting around like, you know, maybe the enthusiasm of the crowd, we would still get to get a stone in here. But eh, once the older people started going, they, they knew that they couldn't throw a stone. And then here's the fascinating part. I mean, the whole thing is just amazing. At this, those heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman, who was still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and said to the woman, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And the woman said, No one, sir. And then Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I. I I love you as you are. I am not going to condemn you. Yeah, you were caught in adultery. Okay, I love you as you are. I'm not going to condemn you. But then he also says this. Go and leave your life of sin. God loves the woman as she is and then also calls her to be something more. And that, I think, is what Emmanuel means. That's what Emmanuel looks like. That's what God with us looks like. God loves us as we are, sure, but God is also calling us to be something more. Now, those, those are the two kind of prongs of God with us, I think. And I think that some people fail at the first prong. I think some people, they have a hard time feeling loved. 
They have a hard time really believing that God loves them as they are. And that's tough because that ends up sabotaging relationship because it's hard to have the type of bond and connection with other believers and other people if we feel that profoundly insecure about ourselves. And so we really need to live into the reality that God loves us as we are. Other people, I think, struggle with the second prong of God with us, this idea that God wants us to be more. And I think some people, they just don't feel this need like they need to grow. They feel like they have arrived. They feel like they are there. Uh, and, and what happens then is that people fail to develop the spiritual gifts that are necessary for really great spiritual connection with other believers. You know, in Jesus, Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. He calls us friends. Uh, but the whole idea is that you know, we are iron. We are iron sharpening iron. And, and what that means is that we are loved as we are. We're valuable in and of us ourselves, but we also can empower one another. Iron is good by itself, but it's really good when it can sharpen other iron. And that, I think, is what the community of God is like. And that's what it means that God is with us. And that's what it means when we prioritize relationship. Because that, I think, is where real growth and transformation happen. It happens in relationship. It doesn't happen in allegiances. It doesn't happen in uh, political agreement. It happens in relationship. And I think, I think that when we stray from prioritizing relationship in our lives, things start to get weird and absurd. And man, we have strayed from this prioritization. We have put so many other things above relationship in this world. And I think that that has contributed to this sense of loneliness. I think it's contributed to this sense of fake relationships, of fake connection, of meaningless togetherness, of just really uninteresting people. I think that this deprioritization of relationship has slowly but surely devolved people so that I think a lot of people don't like other people. You know? As, as uh, George Carlin said, I like people for about a minute at a time. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what's happening to us is we just kind of get tired of people and I think it all stems from our prioritization because our world now... <laughs> It does not love us as we are. Uh, our world now, man, it, unless you agree with my ideology, pff, get lost. You know, you, there, you have to jump over this hoop. You have to be on my side of whatever side we're talking about. And people don't really want you to grow because we're all competing for the same resources. Other people are quite happy with you just staying wherever you are in your life. And especially, I don't want you to grow if you already agree with me on something. Because growth might mean that you don't agree with me anymore, and now you might be on the other side. And so what happens is, being right becomes more important even than growth. And, and I don't know if that's the best way to articulate what I'm saying. If I had a few more days, maybe I could say that a little better. But what I'm trying to get at is this feeling that I have. And maybe, maybe you have this feeling too, but I just feel like right now, in the world, it feels like there are just these mobs of drunk and maybe even demonized people. Just these, these mobs of people who are looking for someone to devour, who are looking for someone to convert to whatever movement that they are interested in. And I, I half expect to see their eyes start glowing. I mean, that's how evil sometimes it can feel, just that... That mob mentality. For instance, let's say someone comes up 
to you and asks you a question, for me at least, if somebody asks me a question about some issue, and it could be any issue, but let's just say someone says, hey, what do you think about abortion? Now, I don't know about you, but like right away, my whole body and spirit shifts into this defense mode. You know, like, what do they really want to know? And how are they going to use my answer? Or um, will my answer jeopardize this relationship? And they'll say, they'll, sometimes they'll be, are you pro-life or are you pro-choice? <sighs> Man, uh, it's so tough. And, and I'll say this. Take any of the, it doesn't have to be abortion. I'm just using that as things. It could be gun control or whatever. And maybe one side is right and the other side is wrong. Maybe one side is just more right than the other side. I don't know. Uh, but I'll say this is that it just seems like on any of these issues, whatever side you end up on, you're forced to swallow certain absurdities. And, and that's weird. Like, and, and I'm this is a Christmas service, so I'm not going to start going into the specifics about my opinion about abortion. If you think I'm going to do that, you've got something funny in your eggnog, because I'm not going to do that, okay? <laughs> so if that's what you're waiting for, keep waiting. <laughs> but what I want to say is this, is that you take any issue, and there's either going to be an absurdity about a view of life or an absurdity about what pregnancy is, and you have to accept that in order to join one of the sides. And, and that's not the point, though. The point is, on any issue, gun control, war, abortion, both sides, they seem so sure that they're right. They seem so sure that they're right, and they feel right, and they make each other feel right. And they're both convinced that the other side is not only wrong, but a lot of times the other side is just blatantly evil as well. And, and that's just really interesting because what's happening there is our doctrines about life are becoming more important than our relationship with other people. That's what's happening. And what happens is we end up wanting people to have political transformation. That's our goal. Let's, let's politically transform. That's what we want. That's what all of this lobbying is about. But that's not what we really need. What we really need is personal and relational transformation. That's what we need. We don't need political transformation. What we need is personal and relational transformation. And that comes from things like confession and repentance and mercy and forgiveness. That's where transformation comes from. But here's the interesting thing. Those are exactly the kinds of things that you will never participate in if you already think that you're righteous. If you already think that you're right and the other side is evil, you're never going to seek confession or repentance. I have nothing to repent from. They need to repent. And you see how you just kind of have solidified yourself against the very things that you really need to transform in the way that God wants you to transform. And it, and it works the other way too. In this kind of battlefield, I need to be vulnerable. I need to confess. I need to repent. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. That's what I need from you. But in a world where everybody is walking around with their judgment pistols loaded and cocked and ready to fire and ready to use your vulnerability for their cause, it just makes it really hard for me to show the vulnerability that we all need for me to show in order for us to uh, reconcile and to be together in the way that God wants us to be together. That's how the principalities and powers make us alone. 
that's how the principalities and powers make our relationships superficial and shallow. Jesus says this, I have not come for the healthy. The healthy don't need a doctor. I have come for the sick. But in our culture right now, nobody thinks they're sick. They think other people are sick, but they never think themselves are sick. And so we never get the cure that God has for us. And so what happens is we end up in these relationships that are superficial, they're shallow, and we walk away unknown because nobody really knows us. They just know our stance on things. And so we walk away unknown and we walk away unfulfilled. And the more we grow in this kind of doctrine type of world, the less human we become. And the less human we become, the less interesting I think we become as well. But Jesus is God with us. And Jesus comes and he prioritizes relationship. And what that means is that first and foremost, you belong. That's the first thing. It starts there. You belong with me. That's where it starts. It's, now, you agree with me can sound like belonging, but that's just conformity. Conformity is not belonging. Uh, because as soon as you change your opinion, you're gone. So that's not belonging. That's something totally different. And our world is really good at creating paths of conformity, but it is really bad at creating a sense of fundamental belonging. And that's what God is calling us to. And I tell you what, in this world, especially with social media, agreeing with other people does feel good. It's a little, like a little sugar rush, but it's not what we were made for. We were made for something much more profound. The fact is, is that when you are in these little allegiances of agreement, you don't really belong there because it's not really about you. It's really about your beliefs lining up with the group. In other words, it's all about them. <laughs> That's what it's about. It's never been about you. It's always been about them. Or the way I said it earlier this year in a sermon, the mob doesn't love you. The, the mob does not love you no matter how loud they applaud. They do not love you. They just appreciate your service to their cause. That's it. Jesus is calling us to something much more profound. When God becomes one of us, he does it not to separate people into little cliques, but to bring everybody together in a sense of fundamental belonging that you don't have to earn, you don't have to prove, you don't have to assent to. You are part of God's loving community. Now, you can reject that, but that belonging is there for you and God waits for you with open arms. Jesus in Emmanuel... <laughs> It's like this profound sort of biggest hit moment in the history of history, supernova of light. And, and in this supernova of light, God is telling us this prioritization that our relationship with others is more important than doctrine. People are more important than law. And that's what God invites us to do for the world as well. And so I guess this is what I, I want to leave you with this Christmas. To pursue agape love relationship over doctrine, over opinions about issues, but to, to pursue relationship first and primary. Uh, which is not to say that the issues aren't important because they are. It's just that there's something more important. Uh, it, you know, I don't know, I, 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 sh I probably shouldn't come up with an analogy on the spot because that might get me into trouble. But I just feel like, I, I just feel like people are debating about the quality of coffee on an airplane that's crashing. 
You know, <laughs> that's what it feels like. I mean, yeah, okay, the coffee is important, but let's first get this plane so it's not crashing. And, and I think that's what God is calling us to. He's calling us into something much more important. Not that the other things aren't important, but this is just more important. And, and what happens is that we live in a world where there's just busybodies, and they just, they love to organize people and put us under categories. And there's just like all of these social accountants who put us in our appropriate place and they smother everyone with these top-down categories and, and, and that's how they look at everyone. Everybody's part of allegiances or collaborations and God just doesn't look at that. Emmanuel means, if nothing else, that we can stop social engineering. We can stop manipulating relationships and putting people in their place. We are all belong. That's fundamentally, I think, what Emmanuel means for us. Jesus, as Emmanuel, he calls us into this bottom-up relationship. He calls us to love people as they are, even if they disagree. Yeah, for sure, God wants us to help people grow. But at their pace, not at ours. <laughs> you know, God doesn't want us to force people to agree with us or to comply with our expectations. Uh, God wants us to love people where they're at and to not manipulate people. And I, I, my, one of my favorite examples of this is Peter uh, in, in the text. And I just love that the gospel writers included all of these screw-ups by the disciples because Peter screwed up over and over and over again. And what's fascinating is that Jesus, God with us, lets Peter fail, and he lets us fail, and he lets Peter be wrong, and he lets us be wrong, and Jesus still travels with Peter. That's the, that's the fascinating thing, is that the Son of God, God incarnate, lets us be wrong, lets us screw up, and still travels with us. That's God doing that. He's our example. He's our teacher. So why can't we do that? Why can't we travel with people that we disagree with? Why can't we let other people be wrong? And I bet some of the times we think they're wrong and they're not, and we're wrong. <laughs> but we'll never know that if we keep kicking them out of our lives because we assume that we're right. I don't know what happened, but I just feel like we've become so fragile, you know? Like, we just can't handle people who disagree with us or who are different than us anymore. And that's sad, and I think we all miss out on some great potential spiritual growth. Uh, Colossians 3.13, Paul says this, bear with one another. That's what he says. Now this implies disagreement <laughs> because you don't have to bear with people who you agree with. That just happens kind of naturally. But if you disagree with them, you don't like them, they, they tick you off, those are the people you have to bear with. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to bear with one another, to stick with people. For sure, we want to warn our brothers and sisters of dangers that we see, but if they disagree with us or if they don't listen to our advice and they go ahead and do what they're going to do anyway, we're not supposed to just abandon them there. We're supposed to stick with them and maybe even catch them when they fall. That's what bear with one another means, is to stick with people. It's, it's, it's interesting because... Uh, this 2022, I was on a church history kick, and I, I was reading the, the uh, apostolic fathers who are the people right after the writers of the New Testament. And one of those writers is Polycarp, uh, and Polycarp was martyred, and there's this uh, story that his, um, uh, his kind of students and his church wrote about Polycarp, where when the empire came to arrest Polycarp, to bring him to the arena, to basically feed him to the lions, uh, Polycarp was waiting for the soldiers, and he invited them in, and he said, before we go, I want to I give you a feast. I want to fill your bellies. 
And all I ask is that you let me pray to my Lord while you're eating. So he gives them this feast, even though the whole reason why they're there is they're going to arrest him, drag him to the arena, and watch him get devoured by lions. Talk about hospitality, huh? <laughs> Holy cow. That's, that's Polycarp. Which is weird because, like, what happened to us? I feel like, like we lose our minds at Christmas supper if Uncle Gus voted funny, you know? We get up and leave. I'm done with this family. <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, what about Polycarp? Look at that. What, how did we become so fragile and weak? It's, 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 and it's our loss. It's sad, but it's our loss. And God loves us as we are, as fickle and fragile as we are, but he's calling us to be something more. He's calling us to bear with one another. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Paul says to build one another up. Build one another up. If they agree with me, maybe. <laughs> we're, we're not good at building one another up. Isn't that interesting? It's just not a skill that we're good at. But you know what we're really good at? Tearing each other down. Putting people in their place. Teaching them a lesson. Sending them a message. <laughs> Those are all things that uh, hockey announcers say, by the way. Uh, just as a... As a <clears throat> Barbara would have cut that part out. I, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> But it's just fascinating that this thing that we're called to, we're not very good at, and we're masters. I mean, we're just PhDs in the opposite of what Paul calls us to. And I just think that's very curious. Romans 12.10 says this. He, Paul challenges us. He says, outdo one another. That is, make it a game. <laughs> make it a competition. Outdo one another in showing honor to others. Whew. Yeah, we, we don't really play that game. <laughs> that's, that's not the competition that we play in, in our life. And I think that exposes one of the problems that we're experiencing. Uh, Jesus spends time with the lowly. Yeah, he gathered his 12 disciples, the people that he wanted for his mission, but he spent time with the lowly. He spent time with the downtrodden. He spent time with the poor. That's how you show honor is you give your time to them. Time... You know, you can have your money. I want my time. Time is the most precious thing that we have. Our attention is the most precious thing that we have. Our attention is the rudder through which we steer our entire life. And if I'm giving my attention to you, that means that I honor you and I respect you and I love you and you are important enough for me to use my most important asset toward. And Jesus, we see, does this. He Spends his attention on everyone, on the lowly, no matter what. Uh, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He does all these kinds of things. And so, this Christmas, I just want to ask you this. Uh, just ask yourself, this is what I've been wrestling with. Who do you honor? Who do you give your attention to? Now, it's likely that maybe you don't feel lonely. Maybe you feel very full. And that's great. I, I'm really, that, what a gift. What a blessing if you feel like you are socially fulfilled. But what are you doing with that? What are you doing with that fullness? Are you just hoarding that fullness? Or are you giving that attention? Are you giving your attention to people who don't have that social fulfillment? Ask yourself this. Who do you honor? Do you honor people who agree with you? Or do you also show honor to people who disagree with you? Do you honor people who can help you get ahead in life? Or do you also honor people who might not be able to do anything for you just for the sake of honoring them? 
I love Barbara. She, uh, she loves animals. And there are times when she will just dote on a squirrel. <laughs> You'll see her out there. She'll be standing there and I'll be like, Barbara, what are you doing? And, oh, there's a squirrel, I see. And she just loves that squirrel. And that squirrel's giving her nothing back. And yet she just loves the squirrel for the sake of the squirrel. That's what honoring people is. It's, it's when I, I show my attention and my affection for you, even though you can't do anything back. And so I just invite you to ask, are you doing that for anybody who can't pay you back in any way? That's what honoring means. That's what it means to outdo others in honoring. Because the world doesn't do that. The world, they seek a very different thing. The world wants to surround themselves with effective people. The world wants to surround themselves with positive people and with the right people. And, uh, and so God is calling us to something very different. You know, I, I've heard... Uh, this phrase, um, it just bothers me so much, but maybe you've seen this on a bumper sticker or something, but it says, you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with. And the idea there is that, well, I better surround myself with better people because that'll bring my average up. (laughs) Now, what's not mentioned there is that if you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with, that means that you are the regression to the mean to those other five people. They don't mention that part. But the point is, is that's how we look at relationships. We look at it, how is this going to benefit me? And Paul says, outdo one another in honoring others, not trying to find more honor for yourself. Jesus says that we are all brothers and sisters. We are all unsurpassably loved, which means we are all unsurpassably equal. If you are financially well off, if you are financial, if you're rich, That's great. And I hope that you enjoy your wealth. And I think that God wants you to enjoy your financial success as well. But God also calls you to share that financial success. In the same way, if you are socially well off, if you are relationally rich, God also wants you to share your abundance with people who are lonely. God wants you to honor people just for the sake of who they are, not for anything that they can give you, not so that you can level up, not so that you can be with the right people and move forward in society and look good in front of your friends, just for the sake of them. That's what it means to be God with us. Because that's the reality, is that God came to love us as we are. But there's nothing that we can do for God. God loves us for as we are. And now we are the hands and feet of Jesus, which means that that's what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to love people as they are, not for anything that they can do for us. And I guess this is the last thing I'll say. Um, And this is sort of a summary and a, a, a challenge. In Jesus, God dwells with us. And what that means is that he loves us as we are, And he seeks to build us into something more. He bears with us, and he even honors us. And Jesus does all of this for us. And we are the hands and feet of Jesus. So this is a gift that we received from God that we are supposed to give to others. And so this Christmas and into 2023, this is my challenge for myself and for us. Prioritize relationship. Prioritize relationship over doctrine. And what that means, I think, is that the world needs a refuge right now. The world needs someone that they can go to where they don't have to earn their love, where they don't have to be good enough, where they don't have to be adding value all the time, where they don't have to agree with some big, dumb, complicated ideology about how the government should run. They can just be accepted as they are. The world needs refuges like that, doesn't it? Don't we all want that? Don't we want people in our lives where we can just be ourselves, where we can be ourselves and seek God, where we can even be someplace and be with people where it's safe to just screw up 
to just mess up. I don't always have to be right. I don't always have to be perfect. I can just be Dan. Boy, I love people like that. And that's, that's where I really grow. I don't grow in a place where I can't screw up and I can't make mistakes. There's no growth there. There's just this superficiality and it's uninteresting and it's not fun to be around either. It's just, I mean, you can't have a party with those people. You can have a party with people who screw up. That's fun, you know? That's where, that's where you have a good, good time. So start there. Start with being a refuge for people as they are. Uh, and, you know, sometimes people are strange, and they do strange things, and, and people are exploring strange ideas. And in those cases, here's what I encourage you to do, is uh, instead of trying to figure out what's right about this strange thing that you're seeing, uh, just try to keep understanding more. Seek more understanding in those cases. That, I think, is a great Christmas gift for the world, for your family, for your friends, is to just be a refuge where they can be strange, they can screw up, and they can still be loved as they are. And you will stick with them even when you disagree with them, even when you think they're silly, even when you think they're doing something that might harm themselves. It doesn't do them any good for you to leave. Those are the people that you need to stay with even more so that you can be there when they fall and you can uh, catch them. And I just think that that's such a gift that you can't buy. That's a gift that you can't buy. It's something that only you can give. Only you can be your refuge for your friends and your loved ones. And I think that that is a gift, as Emily said, that keeps on giving. Uh, I forgot. Like, I have announcements i got to give at the end, too. Uh, hey, if you have any prayer requests, uh, we'll have some people up here that will pray with you. You can also pray online. We have people online uh, for your prayer requests. Join Shauna and I. Hopefully Shauna can talk again. And uh, we'll be on the MuseCast on Tuesday, 4 o'clock on YouTube. And then also we have gathering groups. Uh, so go to whchurch.org slash bulletin and you can sign up for gathering groups. If you are coming, uh, when, are, when, are, when is our Christmas service? Is it, is it Sunday? It's Saturday, that's right. Greg will be here next Saturday, not on Sunday. And so if you need uh, child care, please just let us know so we can... Oh, oh, there's no child care. Oh, see, that's, that's a good thing. I'm glad I brought that up. There's no child care on Christmas. So thanks, everybody. Have a Merry Christmas, and I love you all. Thank you.